Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, where we talk all things Bible, discussions on, if it's in the Bible, we want to talk about it. And if you want us to talk about it, text us in. Text us in or go to the website, BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org. We'll get you there, too. And go ahead and uh, fill out the form and say, I want to, I want to ask this question. I want to talk about this. Please do that. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, and if you're joining us live on the Zoom app, just use the Q&A or the chat box to the chat, win chat window to, to give us your comments. If you're coming in on the um, Facebook page, uh, use the comments there. We're going to be talking about something mysterious. Could I dare say that? No, I don't know about that. Intriguing, or definitely intriguing. We're going to be talking about um, is paradise and heaven the same thing? What is paradise? What is heaven? We're going to look at that. Someone asked the question, one of our viewers, Linda, she asked the question, that is paradise and heaven the same thing? So I want you to think about that as I bring in the panelists uh, who are going to give us all of the answers and all of the information. <laughs> <laughs> What's the chuckle going on over there? Good to see you, Stephen. Oh, you've just thrown us under the bus from the beginning of the show. So, uh, <laughs> we have overhyped the expectations, so we can do nothing but disappoint now. Oh, no. Oh, no. There's nowhere, nowhere left to go but down from here. Nowhere, that's it. That's it. And, and Jonathan, good to see you as well. Good to see you guys. Uh, but let's throw Scott under the bus. We're going to blame him for these expectations and us letting everyone down. Scott's not able to join us today, but that's okay. We'll, 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 What's the word I'm looking for, Stephen? We'll, press on. We'll, we'll press on. Thank you very much. Because this is a very intriguing question. Um, it's one I'm sure all Christians think about because it's in the scriptures. Both terms are in the scriptures. Is there a really is there a difference from paradise between paradise and heaven? And the reason we have a thought of there may be a a, a difference. Is because of the scriptures that Stephen, you're going to bring them into the into the discussion, right? Is that where you want to start? Yeah, I think that anytime we have a Bible question, we start with uh, the Bible passages, and we'll start with the word paradise, since that seems to be our listener's specific question. And let's uh, there's three times in the New Testament that this word uh, paradise comes up, and it is kind of notable that the Greek word is where we get our English word uh, paradise. Paradisos is the Greek word, um, and you can tell that sounds just like paradise. And so there are three passages we're going to look at. One is Luke 23, 43. The next one is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 3. And the last one is in Revelation 2, verse 7. So I'm looking here at Luke 23, 43. And you say, is, let me interrupt you. Are you saying, is that the only three places that the word paradise is used? Yes, that's correct. So heaven is mentioned a lot more times than that uh, in a variety of ways. Sometimes heaven refers to where God is. Sometimes it refers to just the heavens, the skies. Um, and so we'll actually talk about that a little bit in our next passage about the third heaven for just a minute. But this idea of paradise, that word only comes up three times in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So let's look. I am reading in Luke 23, and this is the account of when Jesus is dying on the cross and he is talking with one of the criminals who was crucified with him. And so let's look at that just briefly here. Um, uh, 
Jonathan, would you mind reading for us Luke 23, 39 through 43? Yeah, so I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged uh, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, that being Jesus, said, truly I say to you, you will, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so the last word of that verse 43 is our word paradise. And so we don't have a lot of details given here. This is just something Jesus says. But it is helpful for us to note that it's somewhere that those who trust in Jesus go when they die. Um, this is Jesus, what Jesus says. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. And uh, I think uh, a really interesting thing, um, we were talking about this earlier today, and one thing that kind of ties this together in a passage, and we don't have to break this down completely right now because I know we want to get the three passages out, but the emphasis that Jesus has um, I think, Stephen, you mentioned this, is not so much on where you're going to be, but who you're going to be with. So he says to the thief, to the criminal on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. Kind of similar to Philippians chapter one, where Paul is writing to the, the Christians that are suffering. And he says, you know, I, I you know, long to be here, but I'm kind of torn between the two. One, on one hand, I could depart and go and be with the Lord. Um, there's that same emphasis of departing from this life and going and being where Jesus is. Um, and we can maybe talk about that a little bit more, but uh, that, that, that connection of who you're with is kind of the important part rather than where you are with them. Yes, but, if we focused as much on the with me as we did on the in paradise, uh, we'd, we'd be well off. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, you know, all the times I've read this, verse 42, the, the, the thief says, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. How did he know Jesus was going to come in the future in his kingdom? I don't know, except he, he learned it somewhere, wouldn't you say? And, and it might be, since he is expressing faith in Jesus, that he had heard some of the things that Jesus had said prior to be hung on that cross with him. And he is asking please remember me when you come in your kingdom. And, I, and that's interesting because that refers to something in the future. We know he's accurate in that because we know the rest of the story. But Jesus doesn't say, well, yeah, you'll be with me when I come in, in my kingdom. He's talking about right now. When, when you, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. I don't know if that's going to relate to some of the other points you're going to be bringing up, but I just wanted to tie that in when Jesus comes in his kingdom in the future and today he's in his paradise. Yeah, and it may be helpful to note that there are different senses of God's kingdom. There is a mm. sense, uh, a past, a present, and a future sense. I think we talked about this in another program. Um, and uh, so we want to be careful. The kingdom of God is not just a future thing, but it's something that we are in now. Um, yeah. And that really is a whole other conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, and that's a good point because the kingdom that we're in right now while on the earth was not established yet when the, when the thief was saying that. Right. And, and so, there's another version of the kingdom, if I can use that term, when, when he turns the kingdom back over the Father at the end. So that, you're right, there's different, 
different what Stephen? different phases of it different... <laughs> yeah i guess so uh there's a there's a now and yet future yeah. uh senses of the kingdom uh that all kind of go together so our next passage and just talking about the word paradise is over in second corinthians 12 and verse 3 and this one's rather interesting there's several interesting things about this passage this context but this is yeah. where paul is talking about his visions go ahead jonathan yeah so this is really really interesting passage um and and the whole book of second corinthians is really fascinating to me i've been reading it recently um but here in, in this moment he kind of starts maybe almost kind of beating around the bush but i think it becomes clear in the context that paul is referring to himself uh, and the visions that he saw um that that give him credentials as an apostle of god as somebody that has authority um, so starting in verse one of chapter 12, I'll just read that. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And he says, I know a man who, who I believe is Paul. So talking about himself, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up into the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast. Um, so uh, he, he has this vision, this experience. Um, and he goes on to say, uh, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. God knows what it was, but I had this experience where I was caught up into the third heaven. And that's in verse two, the first thing that he says. We mentioned this a little bit before, but uh, my understanding of that, and you guys can give your comments on this, is the, the, different, the three different heavens maybe that he's referring to the first level of heaven that he's referring to could be like the birds of the heaven, the sky, um, that level where like in Genesis, it uses that language that God created the birds of the heavens. The atmosphere. Yeah, right. The atmosphere, which the second level of heaven would be where the, the cosmos are, the sun, the moon, the planets, all the stars, all of those types of things in the second heaven. And the third heaven where God resides, God's dwelling place. And so Paul's point here is I was caught up into where God resides. Uh, into the place of his dwelling. Um, and then he says again, and that man was caught up into paradise, seemingly uh, a parallel telling of what Paul's experience was. He was where God is, and that was paradise uh, in heaven. Yeah, and so this is interesting that it, again, even Paul himself doesn't know exactly how this happened, but it's somewhere that Paul saw or visited, depending on in the body or not. Um, and he says that he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter in verse four. So this is a, a wonderful place and so wonderful that it defies comparison. Um, you can't find the words uh, to, to express uh, the things that he saw or experienced there. Uh, this is one of the things that he, he boasts about in this section. True. Uh, which is why we can't say what's there he never told us he said he can't even tell us so a lot of times we'll say well heaven's like this and heaven's going to be like that i don't know if i could say those things yeah and most of the people in scripture who have even visions like john uh, sees heavenly things and lots of different things going on in revelation but uh they're it's figurative language it was like this it was like that and and so we have to just be very careful about uh, pressing the language too literally sometimes. Uh, the last time that the tree, of, or excuse me, the last time that paradise comes up is in connection with the tree of life in Revelation 2 and verse 7, speaking of Revelation. And this is to the letter to the church at Ephesus. 
And he says each of the letters ends with this blessing on the one who hears. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So there's our word paradise this third time. And here, it, this is a reward given to the one who conquers, to the one who's trusting in the lamb and who overcomes the temptations and trials that Revelation is talking about. It is the reward after death. Be faithful unto death. Uh, I'll give you the crown of life, Jesus will say in another one of the letters. And so these three times, the three times paradise comes up. Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul said, I you know, was caught up in, into paradise or saw, saw these things. Um, and here, uh, the one who conquers will eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, Stephen, am I to understand then that especially in second Corinthians we read that the third heaven is where God is. That seems to be the idea in second Corinthians 12, three is that the third heaven is paralleled with paradise. And Jesus said to the thief, you will be with me in paradise. So, right, so where par Jesus is. So putting those two things together, we can make a safe under have a safe understanding on that one. Then here in revelation, it says that the tree of life is in paradise right so mm -hmm. we will live forever when we're in paradise yes will, will we live forever in heaven is that there seems two to be trees the idea. is there two trees of life <laughs> you see where I'm, I'm, I'm just playing i'm throwing some wrenches into all of this <laughs> i mean that's what it says it says it says i will grant to eat of the tree of life one tree of life which is in the paradise of god Okay. Yeah, so as we get into this question, and as we talk about some of these things concerning the afterlife and the future and things like that, I, I think it's good at this point in the conversation just to insert a note of caution um, and to use an example from the Old Testament. Uh, there were many things that God revealed through the prophets about the new covenant, about the messianic age, about who Jesus was going to be and what his followers would be like. And of all that God revealed about what the new covenant age was going to be like, when we get to the New Testament and we read about the Jews, how much of it did they correctly anticipate? None. Well, they anticipated that there would be a Messiah, but falsely anticipated who or what or how that would come about. Right. A large what the kingdom of... was, or what the kingdom was going to be like under this new Messiah. They were wrong oh. on that a large amount of Jesus's rejection is based on false expectations. It is, they just had this totally different idea of what it meant for God to rule in the world. And so when Jesus came and wasn't what they expected, he was largely rejected. And so a word of caution, as we talk about prophecies to deal with the future and uh, you know, what's going to happen at the end, we're in a similar position. We can see what we have now. We trust that God's going to fulfill his word, but how he's going to do it, and very specific expectations, we ought to have a sense of humility that, well, as best as I can see, based on what the text says, this is what it's going to be like. And again, the Jews weren't stupid. They read the prophets carefully, and they had things that they felt very certain about that they just didn't make up. It was based on some things that the scripture said that they didn't understand what was meant by those scriptures. And so we have the scriptures as well, and we need to search the scriptures seek to understand, but also 
again, have a healthy dose of humility about drawing very strict conclusions about what's going to be this way or that way, because it's possible for God's people to be wrong about those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I want to stress what you're saying, because there, that doesn't mean all of revelation from God falls into that category that we can't really know. We're talking about things that are in the future, not physical world things that we, we touch and feel every day, things that are not clear cut. And we could take out of the scripture and in, interpret them or uh, make application to them that's not accurate enough because we don't have enough information. Whereas things like, how are you saved? How are your sins forgiven? That's not talking about something in the future. That's talking about how you actually can do it while you're alive, being baptized into the death of Christ, as Paul says, being buried with him. That's That you can hang your hat on. And, uh, and so I'm glad you brought that up. There's things here we can't be that sure of, then let's not go around, make a doctrine around it that so many people do. Mm -hmm. And again, not to say that we shouldn't ask these questions. These are good questions. Oh, very good questions. Yeah. yeah. But as we think about this, just a couple passages that come to mind. Let's look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, mm -hmm. where it talks, Paul talks directly about what's to come. Gives us a little window into the future. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's read verses uh, 13 through 18 there. Okay, I got that one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now here's an example of things we can hang our hat on. We know he's coming back. We know he's coming in the future. There's some things in here that could be a little, what does that mean? But we know he's coming back and that we're not going to precede those who already died in Christ. Absolutely. And this text gives a real emphasis on the resurrection from the dead. Um, I, I think a lot of times we get really focused in on the place and like, where are we going to be? But as we've already mentioned, one thing that the scriptures focus on is who we're going to be with. And that's who this passage ends with so we will always be with the lord i also say also in verse 17 we'll be caught up together with them that is with the, those who are in christ who have fallen asleep before us mm -hmm. i think that's helpful we're going to be with the lord and we're going to be with those that love the lord mm -hmm. and wherever that is that that's a wonderful thing to look forward to the other thing that this text emphasizes and the new testament emphasizes is the resurrection of the dead uh, the thing that the Thessalonians seem to be worried about is that, oh, no, some brethren have died and they've missed the resurrection. Uh, that's terrible. You know, we're all eagerly awaiting this time when the Lord is going to redeem our bodies, raise us from the dead, and there will be a, a, a completion of what's happening in the world. You know, I just realized I was trying to understand their argument or their concern, but you just you just you just informed me they were alive. They knew Jesus was coming back. In fact, they thought any minute he was coming back. And they were worried about those who weren't alive, that they're going to miss out if he comes back now. 
I didn't look at it that way. I, di I didn't realize. I see it's clear, but I didn't realize that's a good point. They were worried about those who already died because they're dead. This is only going to happen to us. Right. And that's why Paul is taking time to reassure them that, no, 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 like, actually, they're going to be raised first, and then we will all be together with the Lord. Um, and this is an encouragement for them. Verse 18, encourage one another with these words. And so biblically, it's good for us to put the emphasis where the Bible passages put the emphasis. One is that there's hope for our bodies. Uh, our bodies are going to be raised again. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 15 in just a minute. And there's still some mystery about that. What kind of body is it going to be? Uh, you know, where, where are we going to be? The, the, not all of the questions are answered in great detail, but the fact that our tombs will be empty is very clear in Scripture. Um, I, I didn't have this on my list, but John chapter 5 is also a helpful passage uh, where Jesus talks about the power that he has to do this. In John chapter 5 and verse 28, uh, Jesus himself said, John 5, 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment there's something in this passage that i didn't notice for the longest time and that is that every single person will be raised every single tomb will be empty no one will be dead at the end of everything death loses and even the wicked who have died are raised from the dead now here it says that there's a resurrection of judgment the book of revelation we'll talk about this as the second death mm -hmm. but death as we know it here the first death that we experience will be totally powerless at the end because all the who are in the tombs will hear his voice and everyone's going to come out of their graves that's just awesome to think about um, that that's what the Lord's going to do at the end. The resurrection is the anticipated event of the New Testament. The way you said that hit home when you started the conversation, you said, our grave is going to be empty. Our grave. Wow. That's right. I've heard people say at funerals or gravesides before that we need to think of burying a body less as the place where they're going to be buried and more as the place from which they will be raised. Um, like Paul describes it like a seed. Um, you plant the seed in the earth and it's gonna come up and it's gonna be different. There's continuity and discontinuity. Um, it's still their body, but it's not like this flesh and blood body. It's a spiritual body. Again, there's several nuances to all that, but it's gonna be a body and we're gonna be raised. That grave is gonna be empty, just like Jesus's tomb was empty our tomb is going to be empty. Are you going to talk about that one verse? I think Scott brought it up about being naked. Are you going to go more in detail on that one? Yeah, I've got that in my notes. Okay. We can get to here in a minute. But yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so you mentioned, Stephen, from where, where Paul is talking about. So the, then the question becomes, if resurrection is the emphasis, which you see that all through like Jesus's ministry, talking about in John 5, the resurrection of, you know, of the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's kind of like the thing that will happen on the last day. Um, when Paul is going around to different cities, that's that's what he's teaching to people about the resurrection. And he mentions that in a few of his letters that we preach to you, um, Christ crucified uh, in First Corinthians. Um, and he gets to the city of Athens and, and he's teaching them uh, on, in the Areopagus and he gets to the resurrection of the dead. Some want to continue to hear him and some call it foolishness. But in First Corinthians chapter 15, 
the, the question then becomes, if the resurrection is what this is all about, the, the last day when Jesus comes back and we're all raised, what's that going to be like? <laughs> um, and that's the question that the Corinthians pose, um, or, or that maybe um, Paul anticipates that the Corinthians will pose, and so answers for them uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. He says, some of, some of, or someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And then he goes on to say, like what you quoted from Stephen, I'll just read this section in verse 36, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow in uh, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but bare, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God's, God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each its kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. There is one glory of the sun. There's another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, and for the stars are different from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. Um, and it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Uh, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Uh, and he goes on and basically is making the point what you see now is not what it's going to be then. <laughs> it's the same kind of principle with like planting a, a, a flower, planting a, a tree. You plant the seed, the seed doesn't really look anything like what's going to come up from that. But you put it in the ground and whenever it dies, it's kind of raised to something new. And he makes that point, that's what it's going to be like with our resurrection. In verse 50, of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your stain? And so he makes the point here. He doesn't give all of the answers of here's exactly what it's going to be like, but he says it will be different. It will be changed and you will put on this imperishable body. Um, that's there. Uh, when Jesus was raised, his his physical body was raised that was the miracle he came out of the grave and he says you can feel the you know the holes in my hands and the hole in my side but that wasn't the body that he was going to be changed into that we don't know about right there's when when he went up and ascended into heaven he changed is that true that is actually a really good question that i've been pondering recently because i i'm not sure uh I, i've been hearing some things lately that talk about that there was something different about the resurrected body of Jesus. It is notable that people don't, even people who knew Jesus very well, didn't seem to recognize him after he was raised from the dead. And so some people try to argue that, no, that was the glorified body that Jesus had, even though it still had the scars from his crucifixion. Now, I I'll just be honest with y'all. I'm not sure. Like I, I, that's kind of a new thought to me. I always thought that it was not the glorified body of Jesus that was raised, but that was something he received uh, at his ascension. That uh, when he ascended into heaven um, and went to the right hand of the throne of God, that is when he was his body was glorified. But the text just doesn't 
give us a whole lot to go on there. Again, there's some very mysterious things about the resurrected body of Jesus in uh, as far as people not recognizing him, things like that. But it is a flesh and blood body in the sense that he's he eating ate. fish. He's eat, yeah. Yeah, he has breakfast with the disciples in John 21. It's not just a spirit. And as just a side note here, I know it's related. I think we need to be careful because a lot of our thinking about God and theology is influenced by the songs that we sing. And a lot of the songs that we sing, y'all know I'm passionate about this. Uh, talk, talk about the future as disembodied spirits. Uh, I'm going where the soul never dies. Um, you know, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. There, there are a lot of things in our hymns that do not talk about the resurrection that talk more about the idea of my soul is going to die or my body is going to die and I'm done with my body. I don't want to, I'm done with that, but I'm going to go be my soul. My spirit is going to go be with God forever in a spiritual place. And we won't need physical things anymore. And it's just, well, you read first Corinthians 15, it does call it a spiritual body. I don't pretend to understand everything about that, but it's a body. He didn't say it's going to be a disembodied spirit. He said, it's going to be a spiritual body. Mm. And so that's something important to keep in mind as we sing, as we think about, I'm not saying we need to suddenly become the hymn police where we won't sing any songs like that. <laughs> I believe our soul will be with God, but I want you to notice the end of first Thessalonians five, again, when they were having some of these questions about uh, the afterlife um, and he answers some of those in first Thessalonians four that we just read, but notice what he says uh, at verse 23, first Thessalonians five, verse 23, he pronounces this blessing on them. First Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something that's going to be kept blameless about our body, like our, our spirit and soul and body. So yes, our soul will be with the Lord. But so will our body, like our, our resurrected, glorified body will be with the Lord forever. And I think that even if we don't understand everything about what that means, we need to speak biblically about that. Um, and that's something I, I feel like I had a different concept of that growing up than I have now. And I just want to speak the way the Bible talks about that, um, even if, again, I, we don't have all of the specifics on that. But, but not having the specifics on it, I think, makes it even more exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that I do wonder if God did explain the specifics, we probably still wouldn't understand it. So not to say that we shouldn't ask the questions, but again, healthy dose of humility. Yeah. And Paul did goes you, through. Did you, you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, John, but you, you were talking about the body and, and the, the, the spirit. That's the soul. That's us. That's who we are. We're now in this temporary tent it's referred to. And uh, did you bring it up? Or Scott brought it up about the, the Greek statue. That, I don't know if it was in Athens, right? uh, but he talked about- I was looking for it earlier and I couldn't find you, it. Yeah, I couldn't, but I wish Scott could have gave us the link to that. But the, as he described it, it's a statue with a person pulling up something over their head. It's like and, they're, 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 they're disrobing. They're, they're, they're disrobing like taking their, off a garment, but it's the Greek idea of getting rid of your body. Like, I don't want the flesh anymore. I want to just be a pure spirit and I'm okay. done with the body and I don't want it back. Which that's the whole background of the problem in First Corinthians 15 is the Corinthians are buying into that 
get rid of my body philosophy, that Greek philosophy, and they're saying, well, there's no such thing as a resurrection. Who would want to be raised from the dead when you finally are free of your body? I don't want a new one. I, don't, I finally got free of this one. Well, that's and you, say, the, the, if you buy into that, the whole thing falls apart. And, and that's what his argument was, because see, they were, some of them were Christians were saying that there is no resurrection because they bought into the Greek philosophy. And they, have, they, they knew Jesus was raised from the dead. They believed and accepted that. But they had a hard time understanding that they, too, would follow suit. And that's the argument. And that's, and that's why I wanted to bring that statue, because that helped give you the idea of what they were fighting, what Paul was, the argument was fighting, and that there is this sense we're going to take off this body, but we're not going to remain naked. In fact, that's what determined the scriptures, is we're not going to be naked. We're going to have a new body. We don't know what that is. Yeah, we've made reference to this several times. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. And, and then get back to Jonathan, because Jonathan was going to go somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. No, yeah, we, no, we can go We can go to 2 Corinthians 5. I can, I can read that. I have my Bible open there. But really, the conversation kind of starts in uh, chapter 4 uh, in verse 16. Um, so I can start reading 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we do not, or for we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He has prepared this very thing for us as God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. And so Paul makes the point and goes through great lengths in that to, to fight against that platonic thought of thinking, no, you, no, you don't want to be just a, a only spirit, pure spirit. You want the body that God has prepared for you, this spiritual body that he referenced back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But we want to be further clothed, put on our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly tent or body um, that's prepared for us. And that's what, that's what God intended for us. So, Because yeah, well, we, when we're in heaven, we're, we're going to be praising and singing God. Well, you need some kind of voices to be doing that. Uh, so it's got to be more than just a, a wispy air only existence. It's got to have some kind of body that can carry out the things of worship that God wants us to do. And I'm not saying it's this type of body. It's not. It's something else. We just don't know exactly what it is. Right. And again, and, and the analogy that Paul draws here is between a temporary dwelling and a permanent dwelling. There's a tent, and then there's a house. And, and so in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, I, I didn't read this verse the right way for a long time. Because when we hear a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, our mind goes to, in my father's house are many dwelling places. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. Like, those words of Jesus, and those words of Jesus are absolutely true. But that's not the part of it that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about our bodies, and the resurrection body. If you follow it closely, First Corinthians five, Second Corinthians five, verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, so that would be our our now bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So that would be a a future body, and a permanent one, something more substantial than this tent that is fading away that he just talked about. Uh, 
our outer self is wasting away for chapter four, verse 16. Verse, chapter five, verse two, for in this tent, our now bodies, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So it is described kind of like a, a garment here, but a, it's also a building. So there's kind of some mixed imagery here. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. The idea of being naked or unclothed is like a spirit without a body. That's not the state that God wants us to forever be. And he created us as a spirit, soul, and body creature. <laughs> that's, that's who we are. And that's the way God wants us for eternity with our body. Um, but he says we would rather be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So again, there's a lot I don't understand about the body and how all that's going to work, but the scriptures speak consistently about we don't want to be bodiless spirits forever. We want our resurrection body and we want to be with the Lord. And again, in all these passages we're reading, it's interesting to me that it focuses more on who we're with than where we are. It doesn't give us a big description of what the place is like. Notice what he says a little bit down in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. With the Lord. Like, that's what we've been seeing consistently here is we will be where God is. And I will say that just tying it back into our main question, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise um we'll be caught up with them and we'll be with the lord um wherever that is it is going to be with god's people and it's going to be with the lord so this idea of of being in paradise um like what jesus says to the to the criminal that's on the cross uh next to him today you'll be with me in paradise Jesus also speaks about a day in the future where there will be this resurrection, where these things that Paul is talking about in his letters will, will come about, where there will be all people will be raised from the grave, and those who have gone on before will be raised first, and we'll go and meet them in the air, and we'll put on our spiritual bodies and that type of thing. But there's uh, the question kind of remains, so what happens in between the, the today you'll be with me in paradise and the judgment in that day when the Lord comes back? There's an interesting passage um, that uh, we talked about before in Revelation chapter 6. I don't think that this gives us all of the answers, but this is curious to think about in this discussion. In Revelation 6, and in, in one of the visions that Paul is having of the scrolls, or of the scroll with the seven seals. In I mean, chapter, John, John was having. Yeah, that John was having, excuse me, that John was having in Revelation 6 with the scroll with seven seals. Uh, in verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so there's this picture here of you have those that have died before, that have died for the Lord, that they were martyrs for, for the gospel. And... They're under the altar crying out for vengeance, for, for them to be avenged. And their, their answer that they're given is, wait a little longer <laughs> until, until 
time is complete until all of your brothers ha have also joined you in that kind of thing. That's curious to think about. And, and again, I don't think this gives us all of the answers here, but there is a sense of waiting for the final judgment of, of it's not that you die and immediately go and, and you're judged and, and you're, you're there, but there's this waiting for everyone. Um, and I think that I understand that correctly, but what do you guys think about that? Well, it just hit me. Um, where were they? So they're pictured as being under the altar here, which is, I think, again, one of the images that Revelation uses. They're under the altar because they've been offered as a burnt offering, so to speak. They have sacrificed their lives. So, so and that's they? what would happen is that when you sacrifice an animal, like there was like, a, I guess, a grate or whatever, and like the remains would fall through. And so the idea is they've been sacrificed and now they're pictured as being under the altar, but I would say they're with the Lord. Um, they're, they're comforted. Yeah, just like mm -hmm. the thief on the cross. Right. And so um, they're with the Lord. And what are they asking for? Asking for vengeance. Um, not for, not for uh, they're not asking for a resurrection. Well, will, that's not the right word. They're, they're, yeah. they're not asking to be saved. They're already saved. They're not asking to go to paradise. They're asking for vengeance right is they're they're wanting the lord to bring to completion what he started um, uh, and to to fulfill all things and, and that's part of the idea of resurrection day and judgment day jesus yeah. talked about if everyone's going to be raised some to a resurrection of life and some to a resurrection of judgment they are under the altar anticipating because it describes them as souls being under the altar and it so it's not it's idea. not their judgment they're asking for the judgment of those that are still on the earth that's right. Yeah. And that will ultimately happen at the resurrection when right. those others are raised to a resurrection of eternal judgment as is pictured at the end of the book of Revelation. Because I'm thinking that the, the thief on the cross, he's with the Lord that day when he died. These saved saints were with the Lord. They physically died. Uh, I don't, am I, am I guessing, I shouldn't be guessing this, but is it is it safe to say they really weren't concerned about their grave at that moment anymore because of where they're at? Yeah, and of course, like there's all sorts of physical things that happen to people. Some people are lost at sea, uh, you know, eaten by fish. Yeah, uh, some yeah. people are burned. You know, like there's all sorts of things that like our physical material remains may be destroyed in some way. The God who can create the first man from the dust of the earth is not limited. <laughs> Like exactly. I, physical things being destroyed, he he can he can resurrect us in whatever state our body is in, um, and so that's uh, that's just a point to be made. And as we're talking about all this, God is not limited. Um, to say, oh no, you burned the body, I can't raise it. That, that's, that's God is not limited by that. No, and, and the limitation is in our thinking. The limitations is within us. So so what we've got a few minutes left, barely a few minutes left. So we're we're coming to an end here, but. Have you answered the question? What's, is, there a, is there a difference between paradise and heaven? I, I don't see much of one. Uh, I, I don't make that distinction strongly. Mm. I know there are people who do. I don't try to be dogmatic about that. Um, there is a hymn that I really like. And the last verse of the hymn, the, the hymn is called, Lord, it belongs not to, I, to my care. But the last verse says, talking about the, the life to come, my knowledge of that life is small. 
the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been the emphasis of all these scriptures we looked at. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with him, with those who've gone on. And uh, that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. With, with Regardless of what we may think paradise means, if whatever con, uh, concepts people have, what we know for sure is what's more important is being with him, not being somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that? That's a good place to wrap up. All right. Well, thank you guys. Um, we hope that this is helpful um, for our viewers um, looking at this and, and and maybe just trying to use these principles. Um, when you have a question about a, a Bible word, see where that word is used in the context around it. And it may shed more light on it. It may not. But hopefully you'll see some emphasis and some points that are needed to be made by those, like what we saw with the paradise. The emphasis there is we want to be with the Lord. And there's comfort, I think, in, in seeing uh, those different things. Um, that regardless of if it's at the day of judgment and we're with the Lord or before the day of judgment, it seems that those that have gone on before the saints are with the Lord. There's comfort for those that have gone on. Um, And and that's the goal that we all have. Uh, If you guys have any other questions uh, or uh, any Bible passages you'd like us to discuss here on uh, our Tuesday edition, um, you can let us know about that. You can uh, forward those to us at BibleQuest.tv and we'd be happy to discuss those. Uh, or if you have any other questions about this topic, um, we'd be happy to, to try to answer those to the best of our ability using the scriptures um, next time. But that's all that we have for this week, and we'll see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.